You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I'm Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's proceedings. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Uh, I went to Target to run some errands before we got on the show, and uh, the Little Debbie Christmas tree cakes are out, so I'm having a phenomenal (laughs) day. Uh, That is awesome. (laughs) <laughs> uh yes uh, happy halloween to everybody and the third member of our team celebrating his first halloween as a father uh, he wears many hats but for the purposes of this podcast he is our lockdown corner here on longhorn blitz lifetime longhorn 2002 ut all-american 2002 semifinalist for the jim thorpe award fourth round draft choice of the new york giants back in 2003 spent his nfl career with the giants Lions, bears bucks broncos and a year with the hamilton tiger cats of the cfl when he was done with football he got himself back to austin texas in the 40 acres where he earned his degree whenever that t-ring comes back in we will make sure he wears it proudly nevertheless he is a card carrying member of dbu and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate it, as always. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, I'm in a good mood. Halloween. Halloween's one of those great holidays that you got different phases in your life where it, it matters a lot when you're a kid. It's like mm-hmm. the second best holiday behind Christmas. And then, when, like, when you're a teenager to your early 20s, it's great because – you know, women basically come out scantily clad and they're naughty in every different costume they, they put on. And then when you're a father, I'm not there yet, but you're already there, Jeff, um, that when you're a father that you get to kind of relive it uh, vicariously through your kids. And then you can, hell, man, you can, you know, steal candy and do whatever you want to mm-hmm. do. And then you get to be a kid for a little while. So Halloween is one of those very underrated holidays. Very My underrated. Daughter- I also got theme music, theme music for Halloween. Yeah. You don't have a lot of theme music for a lot of holidays. My my daughter is five now, so she knows oh, she knows yeah. that when she goes out tonight, uh, to set the Twizzlers, the Starbursts, and the Baby Ruths <laughs> aside, those are those are, <laughs> those are daddies, and she can have everything else. The tax. Yes, exactly, exactly. Rod, did uh, did you and the missus did y'all uh, did y'all get the baby a Halloween costume or or, or was it? Little... I believe, yeah, I believe my my wife has got a few of those. Her mom's in town, so I'm sure they're taking care of the the cost the, the Halloween costume stuff. That's happening, I guarantee you tonight. Yeah, as we... I get I get the candy ready for the kids coming by the door, they'll be getting her situated and dressed so they can take pictures and do all that fun stuff. You know Rod, if, Rod, you don't have any. You don't have any unframed jerseys laying around, do you? Uh, I do have like a not unframed like official jerseys, but like the you know the co-op made ones. Yeah, I have a couple. I have a couple of those that you I, should. 
You should pass out. You should pass out candy wearing a jersey and your helmet. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, that's actually that's, that's not bad. So, but yeah. go as myself, yeah. the football player for Halloween, Jeff. Yeah. That's pretty creative. Well yeah. done. You, you might be onto something there, bro. That's not make, bad. Make use, make use of what you got. Just make sure make that's use a, of stuff that's a, around. That's the a house. great. That's a great creative <laughs> uh, costume. I like that idea, man. I like Put it. that Texas football helmet on. <laughs> exactly. You're, I like it. It still fits, baby. You're welcome. That's the kind of stuff I'm here for. Uh, we're also here to uh, spread the word about Longhorn football. Uh, real quick, get this podcast each and every week, anywhere you get your podcasts, when it drops on Wednesday mornings, first thing Wednesday mornings, search Horns 24-7, anywhere you get your podcast. that's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button to get the feed, and every Wednesday when the Blitz drops, you will get it there on your podcast feed, or you can go to Horns247.com and get it there and again if you're interested in advertising on longhorn blitz sponsoring the podcast however you want to do it uh longhorn blitz pod at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch with us longhorn blitz pod at gmail.com if you're interested in advertising all right so we'll talk about byu but i want to spend most of this week's show guys talking about k-state uh, but we'll, we'll recap byu and it's easier to talk about the good we just get the good out of the way. Rod, that was a bad BYU offense. And the Texas defense, by and large, yeah, there were some hiccups here and there. But by and large, that defense did what good defenses should do against bad offenses. And that's pretty much just shut them down. Don't give them a whole lot. Yeah, there was nothing that consistently worked for BYU, right? They had a couple of random sporadic plays, but... There was no consistent theme to, uh, you know, their exploitation or uh, uh, their attempt to exploit Texas. Mm -hmm. So they didn't, you know, like we saw against U of H, against U of H and Oklahoma, we all could sit here and name three, four different things that both of those teams did to exploit Texas and expose Texas. And really BYU, if you go back and try to find a trend of something they were able to do against Texas, uh, successfully nothing really worked now they did have a 10 like a 10 minute drive uh, yeah. so they they, they they were to convert some money downs but they were on they were because of different things and different issues and i think that was mostly on texas and not so much about what byu was doing so i agree with you byu mediocre offense uh keen slovis has regressed every season he's been a starter at every different program he's been at and they just didn't have they had bigger receivers but Texas struggles with fast, twitchy receivers. Yeah, That's what Oklahoma had. That's what U of H had, fast, twitchy guys and big possession type. And they made a couple of, right? That was a number five. I tell you guys, he was a good player. Darius Lassner's a good player, yeah. Yeah, that's, he made a couple of plays on the ball. But those are not the kind of guys that – Texas had coverage. He just went up and kind of mossed them and made a good play. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Texas – those guys don't give Texas issues. They have trouble with the fast, twitchy guys out in space. And they have they don't have trouble with stationary targets at quarterback like Keaton Slovis. They have trouble with quarterbacks that can move. Um, and that's why they were worried about Donovan Smith moving. He really didn't use that as a threat. But just that – still that ability to run means Texas has to account and game plan for it. Dylan Gabriel, we know his ability as a runner with the quarterback draw and with the scramble. So Texas dominated defensively. They did. But, you know, football is a fight, and fights are about matchups, and matchups are about styles. And Texas matched up really well with BYU. If they've solved the issues that 
really, you know, were able to expose them and that they struggled with versus Oklahoma and U of H. We need to see it versus, you know, a, a quarterback that can move. K-State presents that. And with receivers that are twitchy and that have speed on the outside. Now, K-State actually doesn't present that as much. They have one of those guys, uh, but they don't have, like, twitchy, a lot of twitchy, fast guys on the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that may be somewhere where Texas does still have the advantage. But the quarterback position, being able to run, puts the second level of the defense in constant conflict. And that was an issue that took Jalen Ford out of those games. And he's one of your best players in Oklahoma and U of H game. Yeah, and that's where Texas facing off against BYU this year, so much bigger than, say, last year if they had Puka Nakua, but they lost that guy last year exactly. And you look at their roster this year, and it really sort of fits what you think of for a Sataki team. They just, like you said, Rod, didn't have that NFL-style guy now. K-State has this new young receiver that they started playing just two weeks ago against TCU, this freshman, Jace Brown, that he's been insanely explosive. Like, he was a track guy. He's from Florida. His dad was a former MLB baseball player, and his mom was, like, a a basketball player, So, or his sister was. So, like, I don't know if he's, like, a guy that's just finally getting on the field, but, like, he had – I think it was – Four tar- or six targets, four for 88 in a touchdown against TCU. And he's averaging 3.11 yards per route run. And against man, it's like 8.25. Now he's just starting to play, but watch out for Jace Brown. He might be a new name that could surprise some people that really hadn't been playing much this year. Yeah. His dad played pro baseball. He's got two sisters. One played basketball at Florida State and is playing overseas professionally. The other one, played at East Tennessee State and West Florida. So, so it's, it's a, that's an athletic family. Uh, so Fort Walton Beach, the uh, the Redneck Riviera portion of Florida. <laughs> yeah, um, he's like a 16 and a half yard dot. But like he hadn't even – he's only ran 44 routes, but 33 of them came the last two weeks, and he had exploded on the scene to where he's averaging over 17 yards of reception. So I guess he's finally seeing some playing time. Wow. Good nice yeah. little nugget. Good job. Uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, Rod, I, I, uh, in your intro, I talk about, uh, you know, the fact that you were a semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award in 2002, and 21 years later, uh, Jade Barron shares that same honor with you. That came out today, actually, before, mm. right before we started recording. He's a semifinalist for the Thorpe Award, nice. and I know, I know, going into the year, you know, Jalen Ford was the preseason defensive player of the year in the conference, but. There hasn't been, if you're talking about a defensive MVP for this team, and, and it started in the BYU game on the first play when, as he always does, slipped a block and dropped a, a, a perimeter screen for a loss. It's amazing. There's there's not a more important defensive player to this thing than Jade Barron right now, and there hasn't been anyone as consistent as Jade Barron this year. No, um, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I honestly, if he doesn't come back in the second half versus U of H, you might lose that game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think he's that impactful. I think there's a good chance the way they were throwing the football, considering he ended up making the play at the end of the game, and then he made a couple of plays early in that game. Uh, I think there's a good chance that you lose that game if <laughs> he doesn't come back in it, because that's how impactful he is. We saw – the interception that Michael Taft got, he's blitzing, stops. It has the ins, you know, the instinct to recognize, oh, I'm not going to get there. 
then was able to diagnose the quarterback's throwing window and had the ability to to leap into that window, tip the football, uh, not on the tap interception, sorry, the, the Brooks interception, um, mm-hmm. and he ended up tipping the football and then uh, with the Brooks ended up obviously making the play. Um, but, man, just say he's, he's one of those players, man. Just makes a lot of great plays on the football. Yeah, that play on the pick was so great because, I mean, you could tell he was sent in on the blitz, but then, like, he could tell that the ball was coming out quick, so he just read the eyes. Like, that's just pure instincts and being able to do your job, but then within the play, understand what you're up against and make a play on the ball, which is awesome. Rod, I I went and looked at – I was trying to find some PFF numbers, and, again, I like this podcast format because – I just kind of end up spitballing and thinking about things, but we talk about, you know, you mentioned exactly what dual threat quarterbacks do, what running quarterbacks do, which is you put the second level defenders in conflict. I went back. I'm, I pulled up Jalen Ford's PFF grades from last season, and I'm looking at his worst tackling games, uh, where his, his tackle grade was the worst. Yeah. And I, I, and I'm noticing the theme here. Louisiana Monroe had Levi Lewis 21.7 was his tackling grade. Oklahoma State with Spencer Sanders, 29.1. TCU with Max Duggan, 51.8, even though Duggan didn't do a ton of damage last year. UTSA with Frank Harris, 52. Washington, Penix doesn't run a whole lot, 53.3. Texas Tech with Donovan Smith, 54.7. Uh, Oklahoma, remember, they were playing you know pretty much tailbacks at quarterback most of the, year, most of the time last year, uh, 59.3. And then Kansas State with Adrian Martinez, 60.6. So Jalen Fords, there's a – there's a correlation there with Jalen Ford's worst tackling games happen when you're playing quarterbacks that either have true dual threat ability or functional mobility to where they can use their legs to get out of the pocket. And that's not a knock on Jalen Ford, right? I just think no. that backs up your point. The the type of pressure, the type of stress that a running quarterback puts on off ball linebackers. Yeah, man. I mean, and honestly, it's not, it, it's so much stuff, right? I mean, their, their life is hell. Let's just be honest because you're talking about let's just talk about K State, right? K State is a multiple offense. I would describe them as a, a power spread multiple offense with pre with a lot of pre snap movement mm-hmm. and a lot of misdirection. And what does that do to the second level linebackers? Well, it occupies their eyes, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm the, all that pre snap movement. I got to pay attention to what that does. That changes strength. That changes a lot defensively forces me to move and forces me to communicate at the last minute. Also, then the misdirection, that is something that could make me late to the football, so a half a step late potentially to whatever play I diagnose. Um, and then there's the, oh, don't forget about the RPO element. Don't forget about the RPOs, right? Because yeah. they're usually designed to put these second-level players in conflict in K-State runs RPOs um, and don't forget about, you know, play action pass, which is in, in that was, you know, that's in, in intention is to bring these second and third level con, uh, uh, defenders down further to bite on the run um, and then throw the football behind them. That's just, man, the, the entire offensive, you can argue the entire offensive culture now in the modern football is built around exploiting the second level of the defense Yeah, <laughs> in, in so many ways, right? Yeah. The jet sweeps and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just would hate to be, that's why being nickel, because a nickel, that's what you are. That's why today Barron, going back to your point, playing at such a high level is so remarkable because yeah. these days, the second level defenders, like I said, it, the, the whole entire game is built around kind of exploiting their eyes 
putting putting their putting them in conflict and occupying their eyes at all times in the wrong places. Yeah, uh, you know, it's to your point, right, about K State's offense. It's not like Colin Klein has has reinvented the wheel in Manhattan. No. If you look at it, man, he he's pretty much just taken that old. The, the offense that he kind of grew up in in college, that that Dell Miller, Dana Dimmel, Bill Snyder offense, he's taken kind of the, the foundation of that, the framework of that, and basically brought it forward into what t- college football is in 2023, like you said, with RPOs and pre-stab motions and kind of some of the new age funk. But at its core, it's still an old school style. Hey, we want to line up with big personnel, two tights. We'll play with a fullback and, and we just want to smash you and impose our will on you. So I, I kind of like what he's done. Like I said, it's it's a it's a new school spin on, on that, that really old school offense. You would think of it as like an archaic offense that doesn't work in, in college football anymore. But I just like what Colin Klein's done with it. Totally agree. Yeah, I think you just summed it up perfectly. I mean, he's done a good job of combining the old school and the new school, and it's hell for those linebackers. And you add all that stuff I said with a quarterback that can move, and it's like, you know, that's why Jalen Ford and those two games versus Oklahoma and U of H uh, just seems like he wasn't as impactful because, you know, especially when especially when your D-line's getting worn out at, at times, and it, it happened in the, you know, the Oklahoma game with the pace – it makes it impacts him in a negative way and makes his life a whole lot harder. Yeah, and if you look at K State, and we didn't see much of Avery Johnson, their other quarterback, the rushing youngster. The, I believe he's a freshman uh, this past week. Will Howard got the lion's share, but the week before, and actually the two games before, you saw a ton of Avery Johnson. He was, I think, it was sixteen designed rush attempts in those two games against TCU. He for he had six missed tackles forced on 16 rush attempts. So you're talking like a ratio right there that's like high-level, like top-level running back numbers, but for the quarterback. So who knows, you know, how they're going to be deployed between the two because, you know, Will Howard, he can run the ball really well too. But then it's like the, the you sort of have like the way nowadays you have a thunder and lightning back on most teams. It's sort of like what they have at quarterback. Like Will Howard's that bigger dude, and then if they need that short space quickness, that Avery Johnson kid can fly. No, Avery Johnson yeah, can't. Yeah, he can't fly. Yep. Yep. He's no, he's a good player. I, that's my concern, guys. I'm not gonna lie. That's a that's a big part of my concern. My concern is, you know, usually when you're looking at picking a game in you know any level of football, and you look at the the head coach and the quarterback, and that's a that's a large part of the equation. And I right now have a hard time saying Texas has the clear cut advantage in both of those categories in this game. Yeah. Yeah, without Quinn. Yeah, you don't have Quinn. Exactly, right? You don't have Quinn. And this is Sark's year. Like This is the year Sark's proving to the world that he is a championship-level coach, right? He's about to do it. Chris Kleinman just just won the Big 12 championship. Mm -hmm. And and before that, was already a championship-level coach. He said other levels. You know what I mean? So it's it's one of those things where I I, I can't just – I would be a homer if I was like, Sark's a better coach than Chris Kleinman. It's like, well, yeah, he's beat him. He's beat him, but I don't know overall if I can just say he's a better coach because you could also argue on the side of Chris Lyman that he may won championships, winning, you know, win percentage, that kind of stuff. So maybe I can say that's a push, right? That's a draw if you want to go that route. But then who has the quarterback advantage? Well, as Matt just pointed out, they got two. They got the starting quarterback mm-hmm. and the veteran, and then the young heir apparent who also is playing really well and shows that he's kind of a freak athletically. And Texas has their backup quarterback out there who has a lot of upside, but – He's still their backup quarterback. Yeah. So, so 
I'm just throwing it out there in terms. I haven't made my mind up in ter terms of who I'm picking in the game, but in my evaluation, usually that's two places I start. And yeah, yeah. quarterback. Yep. I don't know if Texas has the advantage in those categories right now. And then if you add to it, because we always talk about the fear of the QB run game, and like you already know, Will Howard's a guy that can run the whole offense. But when you add it up, like this will be the first true test. Like Alabama was a good test for the Texas run defense, but not only like Will Howard has 358 yards rushing, Avery Johnson has 238. This is after, you know, sack yards if you just put them over on the passing game. But then in addition to that, like Treshawn Ward was a legit Florida State running back but transferred out because Benson there's a freak. And then DJ Giddens, like Giddens has 722 yards rushing. He's 6.2 per carry, seven touchdowns. Then you have Ward, 5.3 a carry, 458 on the year, four TDs. And then Will Howard, seven and a half a carry and six touchdowns. Like they've almost ran for 2,000 yards already. Like they can really run the ball. Um, unless I'm forgetting somebody in between, Rod, the last time K-State, and, and and they're different, right? One is more, I think, straight line elite speed. The other one, ability to make you miss in space. Avery Avery Johnson's probably the most athletic quarterback K-State's had since L. Roberson. Yeah, Adrian Martinez, but like, eh. Uh, yeah, I, I see, yeah, that's a good one. That's a, oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I um, think so, unless, unless I'm just missing somebody. I think he would have to be. Yeah, because he is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a freak, freak athletically. Yeah, he's a freak athletically. No, you're probably right. It's just weird to, that you've got that good that kind of perspective, but I, I think you might be on the money, actually. People forget, Rod, you, you, you played against him, and he, he was down the road from you in, in Baytown, so it's not like Houston proper. It's a little bit down the road. But people forget, man, L, L. Roberson. L. Roberson won a Big 12 title at K-State. L. Roberson was – uh, we talk about this guys ahead of their time, and L. Roberson was a guy ahead of his time in college football. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I didn't think about that, but you're right. I mean, that's that. that so people, I mean, some people probably don't even know because they're probably listening. They, right, maybe you know, yeah. a little younger, but uh, <laughs> no, man, you're right about that. Every every Avery Johnson. I mean, he's a freak. He's he's <laughs> a real deal. I mean, I watched him too, and I, I'm I'm with Matt. I'm a little concerned about them having two quarterbacks that can do it, and they, and they roll out a two quarterback package. And too, they'll just put both of them out there on the field sometimes, which is kind of weird. You think it takes away a weapon, but I think they're cooking up something with it, honestly, in my opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I think they got some flea flicker or something ready to go at one point, and Texas is the perfect game to pull it out. So I my concern with the uh the K-State running game is that they they have their their strength on their O-line is their interior O-line, Cooper BB, and that group. Mm -hmm. they, they have a really good interior O-line. In Texas, really, the reason Texas doesn't have to worry about the run game, and you've heard, you've heard head coaches and um, you know coordinators talk about it in their post game from opposing teams that they don't want to mm -hmm. run at Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. Like who the hell would, right? So you kind of avoid that and you go toward non traditional running games, which is what uh, Oklahoma did with the quarterback running game, and then they kind of ran to the perimeter. Uh, had some of the jet sweeps, you know, they it was a non traditional running game, nobody really ran in between the tackles. And uh, U of H decided, you know, F the run game, right? We don't yeah. worry about the running game, we're just gonna throw the damn rock because they got a mass unit in the back seven, so let's just let's just throw the football. And they found holes there. So, with the Texas rush defense, usually they're pretty sound, this will be a good matchup, 
going up against a rush first offense. Texas problem has been pass first offenses, right? Like Oklahoma and like U of H run first offenses. Texas matches even Alabama. You want to be a run first offense? Okay, good. Texas is yeah. ready for that. That's actually it goes toward the strength of Texas. But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size, Cardi B size, making the stallion size. But here is that they got a really good interior O line that may cancel out Texas' strength. Now, Tavondre Sweat is playing like the best D tackle in the country, and he's mm-hmm. playing like one of the best defensive players in the country. And and they have two top ten D tackles right now. If you look at Pro Football Focus grades. In Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat, who's number one right now, top D tackle or top graded D tackle in the country. So they could still overpower Kansas State inside, but Kansas State will be the best interior O line uh, that Texas has faced. Yeah, and to your point, Rod, it fits exactly with the, like my fears of Avery Johnson because he's a guy that if you look at his rushes by direction, he's only ran up the middle on the season between left guard, middle. And looks like Rygar like four times, but off the left end, he's 12 attempts for 101 yards, 8.4 per carry, two touchdowns, six of his 12 rush attempts have went for first downs, five of 12 have went for more than 10 yards, and then off of the right end, also over five per carry, 19 for 96 and three touchdowns, so and 10 First or six first downs. So if you look out of his 45 carries, you have 31 of them going either off of the left end or the right end for 197 yards. So I mean, that's what he does. Yeah. The other the, Good you know, stuff. Yeah. The thing I like too about K State's online with like a guy like Cooper B. Like Cooper BB is an NFL prospect. He's played in his career. I like guys that can do this, man. He's played both tackle spots and left guard. So he's kind of the you know, anytime they they just need to to maximize some depth and just get him in a, in a favorable spot, they've done that throughout his career. Now, I think if if I'm an NFL scout, Rod, that that might be the matchup that I'm watching in this game more than any other one is Cooper Beebe and Devondre Sweat because Sweat's draft stock is it's, it's going way up from where it was entering the season. That's there's going to be some hellacious individual battles between those two guys all day. I, I know I'm, I'm going to try to hone <laughs> in on that as much as I can. Yep, I totally agree. I, I, I'm with you. And if you're Devondre Sweat, and I'm sorry, I'm telling them, too. I, I They don't uh, – I'm sure they already know, but in case – they aren't they are thinking about it. But like, just so you know, just like you said, Jeff, man, NFL scouts, they they, they mostly going to be watching the matchup inside with Byron Murphy, Devondre Sweat, and their interior O-line, mm-hmm. all right? Just so y'all know, yeah. right? they're going to be paying particular they're- attention because they want to see NFL players versus NFL players in college. That's why when you get, you know, two blue bloods who are really good uh, in powerhouse games like the college football playoff, all the NFL scouts are there because they know I can, you know, I can watch 25, 30 NFL prospects at one time mm-hmm. and knock out a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, you're right about that, man. That's I, I, I can't wait to see how well Tavondre Sweat does. I think he's going to do really well. He's been killing it. But my point is, I don't think it'll be as dominant as it has been. And that's why your rush defense has been so stout is because they have demanded double teams. They've been playing like war daddies. I mean, you got mm-hmm. a true war daddy now in that interior D-line. I don't know if you you can you know replicate that type of level of performance versus K-State. I'm not saying he won't be good, but to be dominant like he has been to be, you know, I mean I don't know if he'll do that versus an NFL prospect. 
Yep. And uh, to your point on that, I just pulled up the rest of the interior or interior versus outside runs for Avery Johnson. He's only ran up the middle or left guard twice. He had one 13 yard run and one negative four yard run. But if you look at just left tackle, left in, right tackle, right end, it's 37 of his 45 rushes for 223 yards and nine of the 10, 10 plus yard runs he has are to the those spots on the outside and 11 of the 12 missed tackles forced that he has are on rushes to the outside. So the only time he's been successful this year, because his season long numbers are 45 for 238 on actual run attempts, 37 for 223 are strictly off of the tackles or ends. So that's where you got to fear him. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm 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 trying to do some math on the fly here, but I'm just looking at K State, uh, where they like to run the ball. Like you said, Matt, a lot of it's, and again, this is where if if you're looking at Texas with with Ethan Burke probably not playing again this week, they love run, they love attacking the edges, left end. Uh, K State this year, 73 carries, 405 yards, 10 touchdowns, right end, 72 72 attempts, 552 yards, eight touchdowns. Uh, but when you look between the tackles, where are they having their most success, man? And then this, Matt, this goes back to your point, the, the Trishon Ward point, when they go kind of traditional run game, or even even more so a little bit with Will Howard, because uh, Will Howard's more of like what, what Colin Klein was running this offense, the quarterback uh-huh. run game. Uh, they love running behind left guard, right behind Cooper Beebe, 32 carries, 257. It's eight yards per attempt. Uh, nine first downs, nine 10 plus yards, run, 10 plus yard runs. So when they go between the tackles, man, more often than not, they're, they're going, they're going on that left side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're a totally gap scheme. Like if you look at just what, which teams Texas has faced, I'll have to go back and pull Alabama, but I don't even think they're this heavy on gap scheme runs. It's 213 compared to just 83 zone runs as a team. So they're a team like they know where they go and they're going to plow ahead. So if Texas's run D can be legit and hold up, it, it's it's a good fit for at least when you're facing off and you feel like you're one of the best run Ds in the country. Rod, is there uh, two things about the secondary? I, I'll yield the floor to you on matters on the back end. I felt like with Ryan Watts back, the uh, the communication was a little bit better. And look, you know, BYU's pass game was not very dynamic, but I felt like the communication was better with Ryan Watts back. Uh, you can tell now, I think, the by the snap counts, that I think the staff has figured out maybe the guys that they trust to have out there more often. We'll get to that in a minute. But are, are you worried, Rod, about, the safeties in coverage. Cause again, if, if teams are attacking Texas, man, it still seems like that's more likely where you're going to go to try to attack the safeties. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, BYU, BYU tried some of the same concepts that Texas struggled with, you know, versus U of H, right. They tried the drag routes, the, the crossing routes, the mesh concept and Texas defended it pretty well, mostly because you don't have to worry about the quarterback in the run game occupying the second level defenders, they tried targets to bunch. Uh, that didn't work really well. They tried, you know, they, and they, you know, they took some, some shots, a couple of shots downfield whenever they could find some time. But uh, I'm with you. I thought Texas communication was better, but they didn't have to deal with the same type of types of threats, mm-hmm. but having Ryan Watts back, I mean, that's no doubt. It helps. It helps that young secondary uh, communicate better. And it seems like Jaron Thompson's playing less. Yeah, and uh, I was going like to bring that up. Something. 
Yeah, he's playing less, man. And Michael Taft is playing more. I know people complain about Taft. I know how y'all feel about white safeties out there. Uh, but the, the, the coaches <laughs> trust Taft because, you know, he he may not make the big play, but at least he's not going to bust the coverage, right? At least, he'll, at, least, at least he knows what to do out there. I think they trust him that he knows exactly what to do. You know, Keaton Crawford, he's still – I think he played actually – they tried him on – remember early on, they tried to test him on that deep out? Yeah. And if you go watch him, he, the guys were playing a little bit more inside leverage. At least they were most of the game. I know there was still that play uh, – was it fourth and two? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know what that was, guys. I I really don't know. I wish somebody would ask specifically. I wish D coordinators were available so you can ask the coaches about it, but I'm not sure. I think that's a player error. Yeah, got to be because yeah. on fourth and two, there's no way you're not in man coverage, you're not playing zone because everybody's in the box trying to stop some short yardage play. Mm-hmm. So I think they were in man coverage, and you got to think that through as the as the defender, man coverage, easier throws or the short throws on fourth and two. What's the down the distance alignment assignment? And if your alignment, you know, if you have been told you should be inside leverage playing man coverage, damn near ninety five percent of the time. Unless yeah. mm-hmm. you got a whole player or you got inside help somehow. And especially on short yardage, fourth down and two. Come on, man. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what the DB was thinking at that time. Because I think I think that was a player era, honestly, not a coaching one. Yeah, Rod, you remember uh, you remember the first year we did this podcast when Texas played West Virginia? And this is one of your first great rants on this podcast. On, uh, when Car- Texas playing West Virginia – it's in the red zone. It might be inside the 10. They throw a slant touchdown. I mean, Geno Smith hit Stedman Bailey for an easy touchdown. But your point of contention there was Carrington Bindham immediately starts backpedaling. And it's like you're you're like you're defending the goal line. Like, why would you backpedal five yards deep into the end zone on that? So yeah, we 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 have seen sometimes, you know, hey, coaches mess up too. They might call, they might have called something, but as you said, Rod, it's up to you as a player to realize, no, that doesn't sound right. And then just go get it sorted out on the sideline. I mean, if you make the play, you know, just deal with whatever the coach is going to say afterwards. So I don't yeah. know. That's, that's just it, how that, I yeah. it. it didn't make any sense. And I mean, anybody, anybody who watches football, watch football will be like, that didn't, why would, why would, why would he eight yards off when it's a fourth and two? It's just easy pitch and catch. So I think the player just kind of had, yeah, just kind of mental error. Which is- I try to, I try to tell you know when when people post uh, people in the they'll go to the flagship message board at Horns twenty four seven they'll post like still shots like what what was going on here most most of the time I try to be like I try to just not justify it but try to tell you what you know a coach was thinking like well here's probably what he could have been looking at. Yep. That's one where I'm like, well, yeah, I just had to throw my hands up because I got, I got nothing at that point. Got nothing. I can't justify it, like I said. But hey, Robbie, I'm sure you can go back and look through the film and you can find some downs. You're like, what the hell was Robbie doing on that? What the hell was he doing? It happens. I yeah. mean, it is. To your point, Rod, on the safety snaps, according to PFF, Derek Williams logged the most snaps at safety, 46 yeah. in the BYU game. Uh, Michael Taft, 36. To your point, Jaron Thompson, 31 snaps. Keaton Crawford, 21. Yeah, man, I, I I'm glad they're playing more Derek Williams. He's got to play. He he's the best coverage safety, and it's not even close. He shouldn't be because they at times they should be. Oh, and this bothers me too. Sorry, since we're talking about, I mean, we talked about how the defense dominated. So let's talk about something that bothered me about the defense. Mm-hmm. And they better fix this. They better fix this versus K State. If not, 
because they did this earlier in the season, I believe. I also was upset about it. It grinded my gears. They mm -hmm. go 40 personnel on defense and they take Jade Barron off the field? Yes. What the, yeah. what the hell Don't is take going him on? Off. Dude, what the, what are we doing? He's your best. He's your behind Devontae Sweat. He's your best defensive player, but he's definitely your best DB. What are yeah. you? What? I mean, if I'm if I'm a opponent, I'm just like, man, I might go 21 personnel out there and try to get you Day Barron off the field. If I can eliminate the best player and just get me, you know, what I mean, the, the the second uh level group uh players in the in the back end to defend. That's money. I don't know why they keep doing that. And maybe it's because he's injured now, but they can't say that because when he wasn't injured early in the season, they did the same thing. They did the yeah. same thing. The, I don't uh, like it. Yeah. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. And that's whenever you don't want to be able to do something that's so simple where you give an answer to the offense where all it is is something as easy as let's run this package and it will eliminate their best player. Like that's not an answer you want to give to an opposing offense. That's crazy. Uh, any good coaching staff's going to take advantage of that. Go ahead, Jeff. It's interesting you bring that up, Rod, because I had a conversation with somebody connected to a staff that has already scouted Texas this year. And they felt like in hindsight, they might've been better off going to more bigger personnel packages because of the reason that you just mentioned. And they had the same reaction. Barron's their best defensive player. It's stupid to take him off the field. Why would you do it? But if you're going to do it just based on our personnel, then we can run our offense well enough based on this. If that guy's just off the field. Right. And it's like, so your rules are so rigid where you decide that, uh, well, our nickel is our nickel. And even though he's our, he's our most versatile and best defensive back, that when teams go heavy, we take him off the field. That is, uh, man. That, and honestly, that, that's what that's what great offensive coordinators will do. They need to find the rules, find out what the rules are mm -hmm. of your defense and then violate them. And that's a great way to violate them. I'm sure that that is not going to be the case versus K-State. It, it won't be. There's no way no. it can be. They, he, I think yeah. that was the case when they did it early on because they just trusted, hey, you know, these guys can't and won't hurt us in that way. We know that K-State is a power spread team. They love to go heavier sets. Yeah. I was about to say that. This is the worst matchup for it. Exactly. So don't do it. Don't do it, PK. And I know even I know he's dealing with an injury. So I know maybe that was part of the equation as well. But I didn't I did not like that. I didn't like it. I don't like it. I didn't like it when he did it early in the year, and I don't like it now. I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. Yeah. It makes no sense. <laughs> that's where like the, that's where like the fanboy in me comes out and it's like, somebody please bring this to Bianco and make sure that they know that. Now I assume the staff is smart and they know that. And you don't want to just eliminate your best defensive player. Because K-State, they'll just run that all. I mean, they're what? already thin at receiver. They're gonna do that every single play. Like they they'll go out there with the power package. They got a great receiving tight end also in that no guy they yes, have no. other guys that can block so like yeah man that's the last thing you want to do this week you got away with it against a team like BYU because they're down personnel wise and don't have the necessary like skill to exploit it but 
this week, it would be horrible to do that because, like, when you look at the way I pulled the numbers, Jeff, uh, again, for the safeties and linebackers and corners, and it was much better this week, but it's still obviously glaring where opposing teams are going to target. Like, the linebackers were 13 targets, 11 receptions for 65 yards. It's not bad on a per-attempt basis, but still uh, a high success rate, mm-hmm. you would say, right there. Again, safeties, it was nine for six for 50 yards so again a decent success rate but not a high yards per attempt then against corners it was 15 for eight for only 92 yards but all of that basically was almost against Gavin Holmes it's not picking on Gavin Holmes this is just the data from the last game if you take Holmes who had three targets two for 68 out of it all the other the other six corners it was 12 for six receptions for 24 yards. You're talking two per attempt when a corner was targeted that wasn't Gavin Holmes. That's elite. That's the, that's the path of least resistance, right? Why am I going to throw at Ryan Watts when I can, you know, Gavin Holmes is playing the field. I'll just throw that way. And by the way, he made a hell of a play on that deep ball to Darius Lasseter. He played through the hands and, you know, didn't, didn't get the PBU, but made it to where Lasseter couldn't hang on to the ball falling out of bounds and it was an incomplete pass when it otherwise mm-hmm. would have been a shot play. So I thought Gavin Holmes made a hell of a play. Real quick on defense, two things I did like though, Rod, I'll, I'll counter yours with uh, with two goodies to to finish this off. Anthony Hill started over David Benda and played 34 more snaps in this game than David Benda. So again, I just think this staff has really kind of figured out their personnel. Jamon Tapp played more with Ethan Burke out. So I like the fact that they're they're figuring out which guys need to be on the field. Uh and my guy Maurice Blackwell, now that he's healthy, now that Mo Blackwell's healthy, do you see their third down package? I mean, it's almost like they're running that that big dime, that almost quarters personnel when you can put Blackwell on the field. He's he's that hybrid guy. You've got Jade Barron out there. I think they're their third down package is it, it covers a lot of bases, man. When you got that many guys that can cover, yeah. I and you know what? I think they were that was a test run of that package. That, yeah, there was, no, there was no need really to even run that package versus right. BYU, right? You got Keaton Slover is not a threat to run the football. I think mm. they were troubleshooting that package so that they could get it ready for K State. I think it's something because they, they didn't have Mo Blackwell. Mm-hmm. Um, at full, you know, at full go earlier in the season, mm-hmm. I, and I forgot when he was back with the team. Back, sorry, back practicing at full go. What was that? Like a month ago? How long ago was that? A couple. Uh, of I want to say leading up to the Baylor game. So the Baylor game. So yeah. you know, him coming back, they probably wanted to get him acclimated, then start to get him, uh, you know, adapted to the scheme and that kind of stuff. Um, but I love that package, man. Jalen Ford, Anthony Hill. Uh, Mo Blackwell, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Baron Sorrell. That was the front man. That is a I, the reason I love the package is because you got two hybrids, mm-hmm. you got two guys, so you can use it, like you said, great on third down. That's when they use it a lot. They blitz out of it a lot too, which I yeah. like. Um, but they got two hybrids, so against a team like K State, you can use one guy as the spy, one guy as the, the blitzer and the rusher. And and they're interchangeable, right? Sometimes yep. it could be Mo spying you. Sometimes it could be Anthony Hill spying you. Sometimes Anthony Hill's rushing off the edge. Sometimes it's Mo. It could be the twist and the stunt. Sometimes both of them could be spying. Who knows? Because sometimes it could be Jalen Ford and both of those guys rushing. Yeah. It's a really good package 
to throw off the uh, a quarterback and confuse the quarterback about what the actual pressure package is going to be. And they may know it's going to be pressure, and maybe it's not. Maybe use it for a simulated pressure, but I love it. I think they there's no there's no need to unveil it versus BYU. Um, yeah. I think it was it was it was unveiled so they can get at, adapted to it. I was talking to um, my man Drew Kelson about this. He he said once he they worked a package um, for whatever game was before that Ohio State game, um, and they <laughs> and they were working it in practice and um, and working it in practice a lot and never really used it and and it, they broke it out in a in the big game right mm-hmm. and he, he said you know basically that's why they were practicing it and I, I think this situation is similar. I bet they've been practicing this probably since Mo Blackwell got back with the team. Um, probably yeah. unveiled it versus BYU. And for the big game versus K-State, they, if, I'm, if my hypothesis is right, if you can win first down, that's big though. Mm-hmm. You can win first down, and that means you got to be to stop them and get a short, you know, told them to a short gain or get a negative play and force them into second and long and third and long. And they'll still run on second and long, by the way. They don't give a damn. Yeah. Especially <laughs> into third, third, medium, third and long. I think this is your second and long, third, medium, third and long package. Yeah. No, yep, uh, the- Mo Blackwell, the, if you look at his snaps, you were right, Jeff, uh, against Baylor was the first game. And this game, though, was the most snaps he's got all season he played 18 against Baylor that was more just garbage time but went seven against KU then 13 13 then 19 and he had his season high on the D-line seven of those snaps at D-line one at slot corner and then 11 in the box and Rod that game before Ohio State was a 60 to 3 beating of Lula yeah there you go yeah that's what he was talking about but yeah, the coaches do that, man. They just re- yeah, packages ready to go. I mean, Starksman, he sucks and build a 31, right? Versus mm-hmm. BYU. He, he had it last year versus Alabama, but this is the first time he broke it out this year, the 31 personnel with the Savion Red, Baxter, and uh K Rob. Keelan yes. Robbins. Yep. Yep, Keelan. Uh, the yeah. the other thing, Rob, that I like about this package too, before we you know talk about the offense and the time we've got left. With with Jade Barron and Ryan Watts back now. They're two of your better blitzers. I mean, they, you know, because Watts yeah. has been out, we haven't really seen, you know, some people call it, a, I've heard it called a chop call or whatever, but that, that corner blitz off the boundary. Uh, we know Jade Barron's a good blitzer. Hell, the, the, the interception Terrence Brooks got, that was because Barron was blitzing, realized he couldn't get there, knocked the pass in the air, and it went right to Terrence Brooks. So just, and, and then with, with Blackwell and Hill and even Jalen Ford, with the athleticism you've got, in the box with that package and the fact that you've got two two guys in your secondary who might be your two best blitzers other than anthony hill man, there's mm-hmm. just it, it's almost it seems almost endless the type of stuff yep. you could do out of that package i totally agree and honestly i think they'll love it versus oklahoma if they have to play them again yeah in the yep. big 12 title game something oklahoma hadn't seen you know what I mean? Because that it just the way you know, right? Versus Oklahoma didn't run the ball; they didn't want to get into a traditional running game. You could almost force them to go back to a traditional running game with that package mm-hmm. um, out there. And I love the fact that you said today, Baron, your front seven then is Baron. It's, it's all your best players yep. essentially with Baron Sorrell, uh, with ba- Byron Murphy, Sweat. You got Ford out there, Jaday Barron. You throw in Anthony Hill, your best young prodigy and pass rusher off the edge, and then throw in Mo Blackwell just for good measure because you got another hybrid. Ooh, oh, yeah, that's 
That's nasty. It's nasty. You throw in Mo Blackwell because he's a bad mother. Everybody needs to put some yeah. respect on Mo Blackwell's <laughs> name. Not yeah. that BYU game. So trust up. me, there was nobody in the press box happier that Mo Blackwell was making plays than me as the unofficial president of his fan club. Uh, I love me some Mo Blackwell. Mo so, Blackwell, truth more, man. more. I am more Mo Blackwell. That's what I'm calling for. Mo, uh, Mo, Mo, more Mo. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and talk about the offense real quick. All out of control. Yeah, I, I called <laughs> I, I, guys. I called Malik Murphy's start solid. Uh, it wasn't. It by by no means was it poor. By no means was it great. So that kind of puts it in the the old solid category. Uh. Pretty good. I'd say whichever one of you guys wants to take this first. I, I just say that's a it's a pretty good baseline to start to 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 maybe build him up and see if he can spin this forward a little bit. Uh yeah, I, I gave him a B minus. Uh I was just giving a grade. I was just giving like a B minus. Uh you could probably go C plus in there if you really want to be critical. But you know, I would say this about young glass. I'm glad you brought the term baseline because that's what you're looking for, right? You want a baseline of consistent performance from young players when they get that that's when you know you're starting to see true growth from them and you know you don't get that from young players this is his first start he only had yeah. eight passing attempts prior to that what you get before that is you get the 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 ceiling you get the a lot of the upside flashes of it and you get a lot of flashes of the the immaturity right the the uh, inexperience they're like teenagers. Well, matter of fact, they are teenagers. <laughs> and with teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, you get you get the wow moment and you get the what the moments, right? And he's like, man, that was a wow moment. What an amazing uh, teenager. What an amazing young woman, a young man, or whatever. And they 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 really do inspire you and, and shock you with what they're capable of. And they also make some stupid, dumb decisions. And you go, what? The, why were you doing something like that? Why would you make that decision? And he had those, right? He had to throw to Ad Mitchell, both of them. The deep bomb touchdown and also uh, the the touchdown uh, that was the, the skinny post or the the, the, the slant route uh, down in the red zone. And he also had the interception, which was a what the moment when he mm. just panicked and he had the fumble, which I put a little bit on Sark because Sark shouldn't have put him on the center because anytime Texas goes in the center, it's either a flea flicker. Uh, or it's a short yardage quarterback sneak of some kind, which they rarely do. Either way, he shouldn't have been doing it in his second start, and that was also one of those what the moments. So you had both, and hopefully you get that baseline at one point. Will he get it versus K-State? I'm not saying he will, but at one point that's what you want to see from your young players, and all depends on for every player it's different. depends on their situation, their skill set, when that light goes off. Yep, and if you look at his numbers, like he was getting the ball out on time, like he was really fast. He was 2.07 time to throw, but it was about what you'd expect from an inexperienced quarterback in regards to, say, pressure or clean. He was 106.3 when clean, 26.7 NFL passer rating when pressured, which is very, very bad, but everybody's worse, but that's drastically worse. Now, the one place you would maybe hope to see him do was better when blitzed, like when not blitzed, he was a 111.5 NFL passer rating. When he was blitzed, it was 65, and that's where, you know, a team like K-State may understand that, you know, these two, because a lot of the times you say if a guy's really – bad against pressure but he can beat the blitz you don't always want to blitz them but when you know that blitzing leads to pressure and he's bad against both 
then that can sort of give an easy answer to the defense. So that's where a week worth of practice of film and things along those lines, you can see those things drastically change within a week from quarterback to quarterback. So it's nothing to be alarmed about, but it's just what you sort of would expect to see from a young quarterback. I think the thing that surprised the surprised me the most with him was, you know, Rod, we talked about your, your boy Chris Sims had to learn that, look, not everything needs to be a heater. You don't have exactly. to rip rip skin off dudes' hands on every throw. Yeah. I was I was surprised at almost how cognizant you could tell Malik was of a hey, okay, I, I need to put touch on this. Don't don't fire it in there. But that slant to AD Mitchell, like when he needed to go to the fastball, it was there. Like honestly, I hated the call, but and we'll get to the red zone in a minute. But one of the red zone calls where it was like, I hate I just hate that throw where it's like the the front pylon throw to AD Mitchell. That was yeah. one that it was closer to being an interception than a touchdown. That was one where he probably really needed to uncork it, and and because that's a that's a tough throw to make. But it overall, is. man, I just thought the 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 way he changed ball speeds and, and threw with some touch and and saved the really? fastball for when he needed it, man. That that impressed me more than anything with him. Yeah, because we assumed that you know that was going to be a struggle for him because he has the fastball. Um, and, and like Sims, much like Sims, right? You got the fastball, but what Sims will struggle with at times is putting the touch on it, layering the football, right? Put, yeah. Putting layers on that thing. Um, and, you know, that affects your accuracy. And he didn't really struggle with that. But I'm with you. It was it, glad you said that because I said the same thing. You can tell he, he, he was aware of his yeah. cannon. And even on that deep AD Mitchell throw, he, and I'm glad he was aware yep. because he could easily overthrow him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but touch on that one. He did. He put the perfect amount of touch on it, and I've seen that a few times. So I'm, I'm I, look, I, I'm, I'm glad that's not something he's gonna struggle with. Something that he's already been working on. That was pretty obvious. You know, something he's got to go work on. That even Quinn struggled with was footwork. I mean, Quinn struggled with footwork at times too. It's it, his footwork gets sloppy, and I think it's because he's paying attention to the pressure. Which you got. I mean, it, yeah, it's coming. You better be aware of it, but you you can't pay attention to it. Uh, you know, as a quarterback, it's one of those weird things. You can be aware of it, but can't pay attention to it. Then that's why he throws. That's why I think he throws off his back foot a lot. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. got that back foot thing working, and then the ball, it you know, it can it can get I think a little too high on him, right? Um, and I think it can float on him just a little bit, and maybe he's trying to do it intentionally because maybe he's like, man, trust me, if I step into this thing, you don't want to see it. <laughs> right. Um, so maybe he is doing it intentionally. I don't know, but he'll kind of prematurely throw off his back foot a lot. I think it's because he's paying attention to the pressure, um, which actually, you know, it, it may be there. Maybe you're projecting it's going to be there when you step, but you still got to step into the throw. And that's why it's hard for being a quarterback because, you know, man, I'm stepping into this throw. I'm going to actually meet the pressure mm-hmm. and I'm going to take a hit. And he's a big guy. That's what you're big for, man. You got to be willing to take that hit. And I know he's dealing with injuries, so that's a probably a part of it too. But, yeah, I think he throws off his back foot a little bit, footwork, a little bit of an issue. We're talking being nitpicky here because it was his first start. And I, I, yeah, I do think that if you look at it overall, uh, I'm with, I'm, I'm with Matt. I would, I would probably just blitz him. I'd probably just blitz him a lot. Yeah, I probably would. It Where, seems like he panics. That that pan, that was a panic, and that panic is. And Sark even even talked about. It. I'm glad he did. He hasn't gotten hit in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Quarterbacks don't get hit in practice. We talk about this all the time. 
The, mm-hmm. the, the only time they have to face real life reps and the threat of getting hit is in the game. So in practice, quarterbacks look great. Coach is like, they're their best practice ever. Well, they always should have a damn good practice. Ain't nobody <laughs> touching. <laughs> nobody, you can't even get around the quarterback without Coach Dog cussing you, screaming at you, and yelling at you. It's hard to even patch, practice, uh, you know, practice your pass rush moves because you can't get close to the quarterback. So, uh, you know, getting the game, that's why Sark said, yeah, he, he thought about throwing the football when he uh, was able to recover the fumble, but he was able to realize, like, I'm about to get hit. He said, yeah, in the game, he'd have thrown that. I'm sorry, in the practice, he'd have thrown that and it completed and something like that, but it's not in the game. Things are a whole lot different. And I think for, for a young quarterback, I think the thought of being hit and you haven't experienced a lot, it, it can really change your psyche yeah. as a young quarterback. And I think if I'm K-State, I'm trying to take advantage of that early. Two two things yep. on that. One, uh, hang on just a sec, man. I just got I just got to get this out. One, well, the one thing I think now Malik needs to be cognizant of is Sark said he always tells his quarterbacks this: when it when it's a bad play, don't turn a fender bender into a fatality. Mm-hmm. You know, minimize yep. if it's a bad play, minimize it as much as you can. And two. To your point, Rod, I do expect K-State to blitz, at least put more guys in the box to try to slow down Jonathan Brooks and see if Malik Murphy can beat you. The weak spot with this K-State defense is their secondary. Anybody that's watched K-State this year, this isn't a really good secondary. So if you do get one-on-one opportunities, man, we (laughs) there could be some times in this game where we find out how far Malik Murphy can throw a football because there's going to be times where you get – Xavier Worthy or you get A.D. Mitchell one-on-one with somebody and you just try to uncork a shot and see if you can either get a catch or a DPI or something. So that's that's something that's something to keep an eye on is, is one-on-ones on the outside. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's where if they do uh, blitz Malik, I went and looked at the uh, allowed pressures according to PFF this week and they had 20%. So just one of the five were on Malik holding onto it too long. And then, you know, the other ones were on right tackle and left guard. So Texas a bit improved on the allowed pressure aspect of it, but you hit on it right there, Jeff, with the, the K-State secondary, because they've had some games where they've been tor- – it's weird. Like, that one week they'll be great, then one week they'll just be totally torched. And they've been torched by some offenses in recent weeks. So, it'll be interesting to see how well they play this weekend. Yeah, Oklahoma that. State beat them differently than Missouri, right? Missouri threw the football, mm-hmm. and Missouri's got some good athletes on the outside of wide receiver, too. Yeah. Um, and they threw the football a lot. Oklahoma State ran the football because they got that dude, Ollie Ollie Gordon. Gordon. Man, he's a monster, dude. If you ain't watched, Ollie Gordon had like 116 receiving that game, I believe, too. Yeah, they used they just, I mean, they just used him a lot. And but one thing that both of those uh games had in common when I watched them, guys, and it kind of goes to my theory about. How, and, and how to expose the, the three high three down, which is, oh, I mean, that's always Halloween. So, ooh, I, <laughs> a scary thought for uh, Stark offense is the three high three down. Um, but I think, you know, one of my theories is that, and I, I think it tracks with watching film, one of the best ways to expose the three high three down is to be extreme formationally, extreme in your personnel packages. You just have to be extreme in those mm-hmm. things. And if you are, you're the, the three high three down, which it's, you know, the, kind of uh thing that the unique element of it the thing that makes it so tough 
to to go up against is the fact that it distorts the pre-snap read so well and disguises so well because it's relatively new. It's not even a 10-year-old defensive concept. And since it disguises and distorts the pre-snap better than the two uh, high shell look or the single high, which they which you're going to end up in at one point, you can still end up in those concepts. Um, but because it distorts really well, it confuses quarterbacks and, pro- and forces them to process everything post-snap. And in the run game, just because you have only six guys in the box, you know, doesn't mean you have just six guys in the run fit. Mm-hmm. And they sling run fits really well. And what I mean by that is they come at the run fit from different angles. But they yep. do that by disguising pre-snap, which makes them tougher uh, if you're an RPO-based offense, an RPO-based passing game like Sarks is, it makes them tougher to read pre-snap to make the, the, the accurate box count to determine whether you have the numbers advantage. So all, yeah. all of these things basically just force a quarterback's life to be hell going up against the three high, three down, which is why the running game is where most teams just they resort to and the running game works against the three high, three down because a quarterback's life is tough just trying to uh, you know, go up against the three high, three down and pass the ball and be one dimensional. You can do it though, exactly. and the ways to do it are to be extreme. Go look at Missouri, go back and watch the game. They ran a ton of three by one sets trips to one side, single receiver to the other side, a lot of ace formations in that way. And they were able to exploit the three high, three down because of that. How? Because when you deal with extreme formations, you can you have to abandon your distortion and abandon your pre snap disguise. You have to. Yeah. Otherwise, you're gonna you, you you're gonna sacrifice your alignment and your assignment. Right? You can't mm-hmm. be if you got that third, you better get over there to that third, especially when you got trips over there to that side, and they'll sacrifice oftentimes their disguise when they have to to defend an extreme formation. This is why I think empty formation, my numbers back it up, work really well against the three high, three down because it's an extreme formation. You better not be out of position trying to disguise against an empty formation. You better get your alignment assignment right away before you get exposed. The ball's coming out quick. Uh, yeah. the, the, the 6-0 line package, Texas last year averaged over 6.5 yards per rush versus the three high, three down when they ran the 6-0 line package. Why? It's extreme. You know the run fits of the defense going up against that 6-0 line package. Why? They're so heavily outnumbered in terms of mass at the point of attack they know man it's a heavy run set i better get to my run fit and then they start creeping down to their run fit and then the uh, the, deep, the offense knows all right this is my assignment my blocking assignment now sometimes you're as confused about what your blocking assignment is when they're run they're coming down from those run fits from those three high shells and slinging yeah. those run fits too so it, it it really does. It cleans up the picture for the quarterback and it, it gives him a more solid indicators as to what's going on. That's why I think Texas has been using the 6-0 line package a lot. I think they're going to use it in this game a ton. They should because at least my numbers indicate it works. And also, at least they were with Quinn, they, they could use empty formation. I don't know if they're going to use it, but you still can go three by one. Oklahoma State went three by one sets. The whole damn game, dude, go look at it. It's just three mm-hmm. by one sets, three by one sets, three by one sets. And they did it. They ran the football out of it, though, because it still works the same. The principle is still applies. Yeah. You force them to have to reveal their their actual coverage and their actual front instead of having this the pre-snap shell disguise and being malleable that is their biggest advantage out of three high and they no longer have it when you go extreme we talked about real quick his inability to kind of adapt to 
to the portal and other things with modern day college football. Is there anybody better? Just if you give him one week to game plan for an opponent, I don't know if there's a an offensive coach in the country better than Mike Gundy at just drawn up for a specialized defense on 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 a week's notice. I don't know that there's anybody better at doing it because we've seen him do it time and again, and it, he's done it with different personnel, with different quarterbacks, against different defenses. It's like if he, if you've got a weakness or a weak spot in that defense, man, he's gonna find it. He's gonna exploit it. Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. He's a he's a damn good coach. It, I mean, you're right. He, he's he's antiquated, but I mean, <laughs> we all know that that dude is a hell of a ball coach. And that's and, and by the way, they they ran the three high three down a lot when Jim Knowles was there, mm-hmm. um, and even ran it recently. I don't know if they are still committed to it as they once were, but they were one of the best teams in the country at running the three high three down, and that's how he chose to attack it in the running game. He yeah. said, so basically that's, he's telling you, Hey, I know this damn defense. All right. I used to, I used to own it. I used to major in it. And we ran three by one sets and we ran a damn ball down his throat that way. So I, I'm listening to Gundy. Damn it. Listen to Gundy. <laughs> on, some things, on, some things, on some things, on some things, on some things. No, no, no. Yeah. Not, 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 yeah. On some things, not all things, but uh, yeah, in that regard, I would, like I said, it, it you just get it. You got to get extreme. And Sark at times, he, doesn't want to be an extremist. Sometimes I think he's too moderate. You find something that works, use it. The 6-0 line package, based on my notes, works really well versus the three high, three down. Makes sense because it's extreme. Um, and Texas last year averaged over six and a half yards per rush versus three high, three down. And the empty sets last year, really successful. You're talking about upwards of a 50% first down touchdown rate um, when you pass the football out of empty versus three high, three down. So I think, you know, and I'm not, I'm not sure how much they're going to do that with a, a new quarterback in Malik, but the, the, the three by one sets also fits that same principle. It is an extreme unbalanced formation for the most part. Mm-hmm. It forces defenses to reveal their hand because they can't be, they can't afford to get uh, out of position alignment assignment wise when you're dealing with a very extreme formation like that. So don't be balanced. Don't be balanced and don't be moderate. Your moderate is your 11 personnel. Your moderate is your, you know, your balance sets, your two by twos, you know, don't do that against that, that defense. Don't do them that favor. You make their life easy, make their life hell too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Make their life and hell too. And you do that by being extreme formationally and personnel wise. And I got some good numbers on the K-State defense I will get to, but because you brought up Gundy, me and Jeff, we were distracted before the show talking about Dabo, which made me totally forget about the interaction between Gundy and Bosworth yesterday on Twitter, which was just gold. Mike Gundy saying that Bedlam used to be more of a rivalry back before social media. He says, quote, I was, it was a rivalry back then. His Bosworth spit in my face and I spit in his. And Ugh. then Bosworth responded to that tweet by saying, well, guess what, Coach G? Bedlam is still a rivalry and Big Brother wants to whip little brother's ass. How about we meet this Saturday at your place, let's say at the 50-yard <laughs> line, so we can exchange pleasantries the old way face-to-face. I'll see you there. So it wow. was a challenge from the boss saying that he will whip little brother's ass and spit in his face again which is just hilarious. And this was at Gundy's uh, Monday media day conference when he told the spitting in Bosworth face story, which was just totally gold. That is crazy. They spit up. That's disgusting. (laughs) But 
Uh, but I, Gundy. Mike Gundy, it, whatever he needs to hype himself up because he's been getting whipped in his rivalry. I think he's like three and what, 15 or something like that. Something bad. But you know, Rod, it's kind of like uh, <clears throat> Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's kind of like Texas, Texas A&M, which there are Texas fans who don't have any knowledge of those two playing each other, by the way. That's how long apart that rivalry's been. And thank God it's coming back. But yeah. like with Texas and Oklahoma, as you said, Rod, there's almost uh, there. There's a level there, there. There are rules of engagement between the two fan bases in Dallas, mm-hmm. right? There's yeah. a there's a certain there's a certain level of respect for the other opponent. They've they've beaten us their fair share of times. They've won some stuff. They've got tradition. They see each other all pretty much as equals, right? When it comes to how OU views Oklahoma State, it's like how Texas views Texas A&M. Like, not only yep. are you not on our level, you never will be. You'll always be that school over there that nobody cares about, that miserable Cal College. Like, that's serious how Oklahoma views Oklahoma <laughs> State. And it's the same stuff that I hear but Texas fans say about Texas A&M. It, so it's, it is uh, – there is a level of vitriol in that rivalry that's really hard to describe. 100 yeah. no, you're right. You're right about that. Yeah, talking about spitting each other's face. I was like, man, I've been a part of two great robberies and and against Oklahoma and against AM. And I ain't never had another man spit in my face. And if it did, right, Rod B would be on that'd be a viral video right now, Rod B on YouTube that would come that would come back every time we play them of me whipping some dude's ass on the field and getting get kicked out. <laughs> and it's, it's it's crazy though, Rod, like because they the the I think absence makes the heart grow fonder or grow colder in this case. Like the A and M game used to be one where at least in terms of the players, it's different for the fans. But I think the players, like you played in four of those, man. Like those, there were guys on the A and M side. Like you played against them in high school. You knew them around H Town. Y'all might have went to football camps together. Like there's just I don't know. It's more of it's it felt more like a high school game against your crosstown rival where, yeah, yeah, I want to kick your ass for 60 minutes, but we'll shake hands and be boys when this is over. Totally that's, agree. That's not how Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is. No, and that's not how Texas, Oklahoma is. No. Texas, yeah. So uh, you're right. That's a great point about the Texas XM rivalry. You, there's so much familiarity. You know so many of those guys. Yeah. You really do. Like, I knew, hell, man, I – I probably knew easily 25% of the AM squad just yeah. from like camps and they playing in all-star games and, you know, and just like knowing of them, like if you're not knowing in person, I knew a lot of them personally too. It yeah. was like knowing of them, but you're right. It's just so much familiarity. Oklahoma is a little bit different. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, sort of like a hybrid between Texas and A&M and Texas and Arkansas. Like there's an oh, odd, like that's a better way. Here. That's a better way to describe it. Matt. That's yeah. Good. Oklahoma, Oklahoma state's like Texas and Arkansas. Yeah. Like yeah. A little bit, but just with the localities with A&M, but just to get these coverage stats out real quick before we finish up, K-State's going to run more men than almost any team. Texas will see this year. When you look at all the way from their slot corners to their outside corners, they run say 37 to 41% men where they only run zone about 49 to 52 to where you got some undistinguishable uh, combo coverage for about 10%. But if you look at their slot corner, Siegel, I think that's his pronunciation, number 21. And if you look at Garber, 
they're, I believe it's going to be boundary corner and number one. Those two dudes in man, they've been elite. They're a 44 and a 42 NFL passer rating against, but when they're in zone, it's a 112 and a 121. So we like to find DBs that have these type of splits so you know where to attack each one and you can sort of scheme your offense to attack them those ways. Now, their other corner in Parrish, who is going to be most likely your field side guy, number 10. He's one that in man, he's been getting torched pretty good. He's given up some big receptions and overall the 90 passer rating, but in zone, he's at a 39 NFL passer rating. So his splits are really similar to Deshaun Jamison's last year and the way he was used on that field side corner for Texas. But when you have guys like a lot of the time, you're going to find guys that are good in both or mediocre in both. And it isn't exactly clear how you want to attack them. When you have guys that are this distinguishably different, it really can give the offensive coordinator, if they can know the tendencies and against what, you know, what type of route combinations they like to cover and try to violate those rules. You can really scheme stuff up where you can keep these guys constantly in the scenarios where they're weak. So it'll be a good test for Sark in that uh, initial script. If the initial script comes out, I'd expect it probably to ball and hopefully it can continue. Okay. And even that makes it even more important for you to have to force them to reveal that coverage to your young quarterback. And a lot of motion take advantage of those matchups. I totally agree. Okay. I want to finish this up talking about the red zone and I want to, you guys can take this however you want to wrap it up, but it's weird after the Houston game. So last week I'm just getting some work done in the office. I've got my TV on and Michael Lombardi comes on Pat McAfee and they're talking about the red zone. Cause Rod, you get a test of this. You follow the NFL more than I do. Apparently NFL red zone numbers are really down this year yeah, compared the, to where they red zone, yeah, touch, red zone touchdown percentage is down to the lowest number i believe since 2011 yeah yeah and i dug into it after rod brought up that and asked us this on the show a couple weeks ago it d-line pressures are up so much higher the d-lines are so much better in the nfl that you're seeing a lot more of that impacted so the O-lines and o-lines are so much worse too yeah yeah i, I think that to me that's a bigger problem um but Lombardi and McAfee were talking about the red zone and McAfee asked, what do you think is wrong with it? Um, Just a couple of notes I jotted down from what Michael Lombardi said. He said, you watch what the Chiefs do. They're always doing misdirection. They're always doing something to try to throw you off because as a defense, you don't have to worry about getting beat over the top in the red zone. So you can focus more on just playing kind of what you would say is traditional defense. All the offense's goal should be get the ball to your best players uh, your best players have to make plays in the red zone. And the quote, I wrote the quote down and rewound the TV to make sure I got it right. This is a Michael Lombardi quote about the red zone. Quote, the great offensive coaches can do this. This is where they make their money. And I'm not saying Steve Sarkeesian's not a great coach, that he can't be a great coach, that Texas can't get this red zone stuff figured out. But guys, this is something that, is still it's I don't know it's not a trend at this point it is a it is a massive problem in the red zone and it's a it's a combination of when Sark does call the right play it doesn't seem like it's executed very well or there are calls that just make you kind of wonder like you're it's kind of a low percentage play I don't know why you called that they've got to figure out what works in the red zone and Rod I guess I'll start with you to me this goes back to something we talked about after the Wyoming game 
I don't know what the identity of this offense is, and I wonder how much of that is causing the root issue for Sark in terms of where does he feel like his bread is buttered when it gets down to nut cutting time in the red zone. Yep. I, I definitely think that's a big part of it, right? He's almost got it's almost like a form of of, of writer's block down there and he doesn't know exactly who he wants to be down there. Sometimes it's bully ball, jumbo package, right? That's who we're going to be. And then sometimes, as Lohan fans have described him, he gets too cute. This is when he's using his innovation and creativity and using uh, a lot of different cheat codes to try to gain an advantage down there. Um, I think it's, it's a variety of things. It's multifactorial. And now there's no doubt. I mean, Texas, you know, at this point, we're more than halfway through the season. They are just a bad red zone team. And they're bad. Not, not only are they bad in red zone, they're also bad in short yardage and goal line. Mm-hmm. And those are different things, by the way. Yep. And mm-hmm. it, they're different things. And, and a lot of times you're not bad at both. Texas is bad at both. They're bad when they get in the red zone. And they're bad when they have to get on the goal line and short yardage. Guys, when was the last time we've seen any team have multiple goal line stands in one game? I mean, that's crazy. And it's inexplicable because Texas has three players at the skill positions, hell, maybe even four if you count Jonathan Brooks, that are going to get drafted potentially in the first three rounds of the NFL draft, right? You got, um, you know, you also have the biggest O-line in the conference easily. So you should be able to play bully ball, but none of that is adding up to them being great in the red zone. And I think Sark is mad at himself because, yep, the play calling is a big part of it because I think if Texas had an identity, and last year they did have an identity, so the red zone wasn't an issue. What was the identity? Bijan and Roshan. Roshan. Yeah, it was easy. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Identity, done. So it, it, it was. that's why I think it was easier for Sark to have scripts last year that were banging, right? His scripts mm-hmm. were banging the first couple of years he got to Texas. But his scripts aren't banging this year like they, they, they were – the first two years either his teams are better teams they finish games their fourth quarter teams but his scripts were banging more you know the first two years his first 20 plays than they were this year because i think it's easier to write a script when you got a-list talent and you got um act a-list actors like Bijan and rob Bijan robinson and rojo and it was yeah. like no i'm just gonna give it to them half the time and then that's and then x-man gets you know five and six of those and that's my script and now that's a little different. And I think in down in the red zone, like you just talked about, Jeff, really going to the red zone, you just really kind of double down on what your identity is. Yeah. You, and then, and sometimes it's about a player, right? Sometimes my identity is built on this is this is the best player we got. We're gonna force feed him the football at all costs by any means necessary. We dare you to stop it. And some teams, when they get in the red zone, you better know that guy's getting the football, just like um, Lombardi talked about. And Texas doesn't really do that in the red zone, right? They don't force feed the football to one guy. That's not the identity of this Texas football team. Right. But the question is, what is the identity? And, and when we while we discuss it, because nobody really knows, that's part of why, yes, in the red zone, they don't really know who they are. And when you look at Texas, uh, you know, like this week against uh, K-State, going to see a lot of man. But in the red zone, also a scenario where you see just because the field's more condensed, it plays more like short yardage, which you also see in goal line when you also see a lot more man coverage. And when you look at 
the Texas receivers this year against man coverage have not been very successful. Now, and I know uh, you had great numbers from Worthy as a freshman against man coverage, and then you had uh, A.D. Mitchell's always uh, been about even against both, which is very good to see. But say this year, you know, Gunnar Helm's been the guy because he's the guy that doesn't get respected and is on the back end of a lot of play action. He's like at 4.55 yards, but it's on very few routes, 4.55 per route. And then C.J. Baxter at three and then Keelan Robinson, who killed man all last year. But those are guys that you don't normally feature. Those are guys that are more on gimmicky or, you know, little quick plays, uh, less volume. Your main receivers were these at 1.63 yards per route run against man. 2.9 2.9 against zone Jatavian's best year so far against man. He's at 1.7 and he's about even 1.8 against zone, but still not elite 80 Mitchell, just one yards per route run against man. And he's over 1.6 against zone. So when you look at the numbers is like every receiver, I mean, even Whittington, he's at 0.48 against man by far his lowest of his career, uh, 2.26 against zone, but he's only been targeted three times against man thus far this year. So it's uh, finding ways your playmakers, they haven't been able to beat man coverage in the small amounts they've seen this week. You're going to see a lot of man compared to other weeks. So maybe that will change. And the one guy we'd mentioned earlier that you want to target and man is Parrish, who's been struggling because Garber and Siegel are both very good in man. So a lot of these times, like say, if you don't know what to do, well, then you attack the weakness of the defense. If the defense has a glaring weakness, just go that route. That's the route of least resistance. Forget about what you do. Obviously, you haven't figured it out yet. So let's go attack that least resistant route, and that would be Parrish. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, that's going to do it. We've uh, run over this week, gone a little long, but uh, a lot to unpack this week coming off of the win over BYU and getting you ready for K-State. 11 a.m., little kegs and eggs game Saturday at DKR, and uh, we'll talk about it next week on the podcast. But that's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod and B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, the Horns 24-7 Podcast Network, where you can get this show each and every week just by searching Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button whenever you see the feed on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Wednesdays. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again 
on the next episode. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale. Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.